I knew Tim was going to be reading, and so I decided I was going to try and grow a beard and uh, keep up with him, but his beard makes mine look shabby. So, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord our God, we are grateful to you for your word. I pray that you would help uh, me to uh, faithfully handle it. I pray that you would um, bless your people, give them ears to hear and eyes to see, and of course, hearts to believe and wills to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we need a little background for this passage. When the Israelites left Egypt uh, during the Exodus, they did not leave alone. When uh, God went with them, uh, he led the Israelites in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And when the glory cloud moved, the Israelites broke camp and followed him. Uh, God met with Moses on the mountain in the glory cloud. And also, um, later in Israel's history, uh, God would meet with Moses uh, in the glory cloud at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And then later in the book of Exodus, after the tabernacle was completed, uh, the glory cloud came down and rested upon it. 400 years later, uh, God filled the temple when the temple was uh, built under King Solomon. The glory, or the, yeah, the glory cloud, sometimes called the Shekinah glory, uh, it was meant to be a profound expression of God's presence with his people. Now we fast forward another 400 years beyond when the temple was completed and something very disturbing has happened. Judah is in exile in Babylon and the prophet Ezekiel is with the exiled people of God. But there's still some Israelites back in Jerusalem uh, who are inhabiting uh, the promised land. And in Ezekiel 8, God took Ezekiel, he took him actually up by his hair and transported him in a vision back to Jerusalem. And I, uh, I would hope that it is a vision rather than a literal occurrence. Uh, that would be painful. But tr- so I believe he transported him in a vision back to Jerusalem and back to the inner court of the temple. And in ex- or Ezekiel Chapter 8, verse 4, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision I saw in the valley. And remember Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, he saw, Ezekiel saw a vision of God's glory uh, in the valley by the, the canals. But in chapter 8, God went on to show Ezekiel a series of abominations that were taking place in the temple. There were 70 elders of Israel who were worshiping false idols. And then God took Ezekiel to another room in the temple, and there were a group of women uh, who were worshiping the Mesopotamian god uh, Tammuz. And then he took him to still another place in the temple, and there were 25 men worshiping the sun. Does that surprise you? That in 
the temple, God's temple in Jerusalem. There was so much idolatry. This is a horrific picture of apostasy against God. And in Ezekiel 10, the unthinkable happens. God's glory departs from the temple. And it departs, God departs from the temple to leave those people um, to their idolatry. It's quite a chapter, Ezekiel chapter 10. There's the sound of the pounding wings of the cherubim. There's the wheels within the wheels that are filled with fire. The rims of the wheels have eyes all around. They're turning here and there. Uh, the four wheels have the, the faces of the four living creatures. This awesome image is a picture of the glory of God. But the glory of God is being lifted up and removed from the temple. In fact, it's being removed from Jerusalem. It's being removed from God's people altogether. Never. Uh, for For the next 600 years, the glory of God was never again seen in the temple. But with the birth of Jesus, as we've been looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke, we see glimpses of glory uh, beginning to be revealed. The angels gather together out in the fields and announce to the shepherds the birth of the Messiah. Uh, we hear God speaking from heaven at Jesus' baptism. And of course, all the many miracles of Jesus, these are, are glimpses of the glory of God. But it's not until the transfiguration of Jesus that the Shekinah glory is finally revealed again in Israel. So as we look at our passage, our passage begins with a familiar pattern. Uh, Jesus is seeking time alone with his disciples in order to pray. This time he brings along only his inner circle, uh, Peter and John and James. And I want to remind you, and we've seen this uh, Previously in the Gospel of Luke, at every critical juncture in Jesus' ministry, he spends time in prayer first. Prayer is so critical for the, um, the, not only the sustaining, but also the, the growth of the ministry. But as Jesus was praying, Luke tells us, that the appearance of his face changed. And that's an understatement. Matthew's account says that his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes were a dazzling white, uh, Luke tells us. Mark's account says his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Listen to this, verses 28 and 29 here in our passage. Now about eight days after... After these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. What's happening here? Well, Jesus is revealing his majesty as God the Son. Or as Luke says uh, in verse 30, or verse 31, uh, he, he is revealing his glory. It's, in, it's my opinion that his clothes became white 
not just in and of themselves, but rather because of the intense light and the glory radiating from the, the glory of Jesus' Jesus's person as the Son of God. And why would Jesus reveal himself in such a fashion? Well, Jesus is about to start the final phase of his ministry, of his earthly ministry. And it's going to culminate in his death and in his resurrection from the dead. As this final phase of ministry um, begins, the hostility of the religious leaders is going to grow into a red-hot rage toward Jesus and also toward Jesus' disciples. I believe Jesus is revealing his glory here in the transfiguration to prepare his disciples to stand firm in their faith while they followed him. And so by allowing them to see a glimpse of his glory, to see just a revealing of his majesty, they were uh, assured of his identity, and they were then uh, better prepared to suffer for him. So Jesus is encouraging his disciples, but the encouragement did not stop there. In verses 30 and 31, Moses and Elijah suddenly appear in order to talk with Jesus. And they too had a glorious appearance. Verse 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Their presence provided several encouragements, not only for the three disciples, but also for us. In fact, Moses and Elijah uh, provide for us a mini-preview of our heavenly glory. They, they had been experiencing glory. They had been in heaven with God. And now they show up here on earth for a brief few uh, moments. Uh, first of all, it teaches us that there is life after death. Moses had died nearly nine Uh, 1,900 years earlier. Elijah was taken up into heaven about 800 years earlier. But now, both are here talking with Jesus face to face. Notice also that they have a relationship with one another. Uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking amongst themselves. Uh, So, this teaches us they have a relationship. You know, it's going to be so wonderful to renew relationships with those who have passed on before us. We won't be separated from each other. We'll be able to relate to each other just as Moses and Elijah and Jesus are relating to each other. Death is a fact of life. But for those who are in Jesus Christ, there will be joyful reunions. And I can't wait. I suppose I should mention that uh, neither Moses nor Elijah have wings. We don't turn into angels when we get to heaven. Although they've not received their glorified bodies yet, they appear as men with recognizable features. Moses and Elijah were able to recognize each other. But there's a difference in their appearance from uh, Peter and John and James. They appear in the same glory as Jesus. 
Everyone who dies in Christ shares in the glory of Jesus. Peter, John, James, they just had normal skin like us. Um, But the appearance of Moses and Elijah, they shone with glory just like Jesus, because they were sharing in his glory. Moses and Elijah did not have any interest in glory, but they shared in the glory of Jesus Christ. Our Savior is so full of joy, or so full of glory, that all of us who die in, in Christ will share in his glory forever. And unlike Moses, who's, after he would spend time with God in front of the tent of meeting, his glory uh, would begin to fade our glory will never, ever fade or diminish. Furthermore, there's not going to be any levels of brightness or glory. There's not going to be people that shine, saints that shine any more gloriously than other saints. Because frankly speaking, we are all sinners saved by God's grace. And and it is Christ's grace that is going to shine brightly in us. And I say this because some of us live as if a cloud um, seems to follow us everywhere we go because of of uh, past guilt and regret that lives prominently in our memory banks. Even on our best and happiest days, the plaguing sorrow and shame is never far from us. We wonder how we will ever be free from the enslaving humiliation of our past sins. And even if we have been forgiven, surely we retain our memories in heaven. Therefore, we reason, we'll never be free from the plaguing guilt. I cannot explain how our memories will operate in heaven, but I can declare to you, on the authority of the Word of God, All our sorrow, all our shame, all our guilt, all our humiliation will be as removed from us as our sins are. Our Savior has paid the price for our sins. He has fulfilled the full measure of God's justice. Our sins are gone. They will not ever reappear in eternity. The glory we share with Jesus in heaven is not only an external appearance, but it's also an internal glory. And the shame, the guilt that we may carry around like a, like a, like a dead corpse will not go with us into eternity. It need not go with you into the present because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? Trust Him. Seek Him. He's a good and merciful Savior. All our thoughts, all our memories will be filled with awe, with wonder, and with inexpressible joy with no mixture of shame or guilt. And because race is such a uh, prominent issue in our society, I suppose I should say a word about race and heaven. 
even though all of us will shine like the sun, I'm sure that we're going to retain our race. The Bible expressly says that people from every race, tribe, and, and people will be gathered around God's throne. Uh, our various racial distinctions are manifestations of God's goodness to humanity. And those who are in Jesus Christ will all keep our racial distinctions, but we will all shine brightly in God's glory. I believe that Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus so that the disciples would be certain that there is a future glory that awaits them. We can be certain that there's a future glory that awaits us. As I said earlier, uh, the disciples were going to suffer with Jesus. And after his death and resurrection, they were going to suffer even more. Uh, the, the, the overwhelming majority of them would lose their lives because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. They would lose their lives violently for their testimony in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. But they were able to see with their own eyes through the transfiguration, through this brief meeting with Moses and Elijah, that their future is going to be as full as glory as what they just witnessed. They are able to see that all their sufferings will be worth it because glory will come after the sufferings. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says again in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are, seen, that are unseen are eternal. No matter how much or how long that they suffer for Christ in their, this life, glory awaits them. Their suffering, in other words, will be worth it. No matter what they lose in this life, an eternal weight of glory is their future possession. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And that goes for us too. Suffering difficulty. Suffering pain, maybe for some of us, it lasts a lifetime. But then there's eternity. We do not keep the reality and the glory of heaven in our view as we should. Looking to our future glory in Christ will help us live more holy, more godly, more happy lives here in the present. Jesus gave us this glimpse of our eternal glory in His transfiguration to help pull us through the hardships that this world presents to us each and every day. Why did Moses and Elijah appear? Why not King David and Isaiah? Why not Abraham and Jeremiah? Well, in Jesus' day, they did not refer to the Old Testament as the Old Testament for obvious reasons. 
New Testament hadn't been written. They often spoke of the Old Testament um, as the law and the prophets. And so Moses, being the lawgiver, and Elijah, being the greatest prophet, these were obvious choices. By their appearance, what they are doing is they are giving the Scriptures full endorsement to Jesus. Jesus had come, as he said in Matthew 5.17, to fulfill the law and the prophets. One commentator said it is as if the whole Old Testament was standing up to say that everything was coming together in Christ. Moses and Elijah, they weren't just standing there looking glorious. They were also having a very serious conversation with Jesus. Of all the things that they could be talking about, what was worthy of their conversation at this very important moment? Verses 30 and 31, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. By departure, they mean Jesus' death. And the interesting word here uh, for departure, you know, normally it'd be talking about his death, thanatos. But it's not, it doesn't use that word. It, it, it uh, uses the word for exodus, for Jesus' exodus, hearkening back to uh, the salvation that God gave his people uh, under Moses. You know, it should not surprise us that the departure or the death of Jesus would be on Moses and Elijah's mind. The death of Christ is the central fact in human history. All history to that point was moving toward that great event. And all history since the cross is being shaped by the fact that the Son of God came here to earth, taking on flesh and dying on the cross to reconcile sinners to a holy God. On the cross, Jesus Christ atoned for our sins. On the cross, He purchased our salvation. On the cross, He disarmed the powers of darkness. On the cross, He defeated death. And we could go on and on describing the importance of the cross History is moving forward, and it's moving forward to the return of Christ. And it's moving toward the return of Christ because Jesus died on the cross and because He rose from the grave. All of history revolves around the cross and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I never cease to be surprised how many Christians, and much less unbelievers, fail to mention the cross when they talk about how they can be saved. They talk about their goodness. They talk about their intentions. They talk about uh, what they hope to do or what they uh, have not done. And they never mention the cross. And the cross is the most central fact of all of human history. Because it is on the cross that our sins were paid for. It is on the cross where uh, His blood was shed for our atonement. It is on the cross that we were reconciled to God. And yet we so easily overlook it. 
There would be no salvation. There would be no forgiveness of sins. There would no, be no for, freedom from guilt. No future glory without the cross of Christ. I'm not even halfway through this passage and the time is speeding away. I'm going to briefly touch on the response to the glory of the transfiguration. So as we look back at the passage, as usual, as Jesus was praying, what are the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And after they came, became fully awake, realizing that Jesus' face has changed, Moses and Elijah are there, Peter started doing what he does best. He began speaking impulsively. Verses 32 and 33. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents for you. Uh, make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. But as Peter is making these plans for pitching these three tents, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. When I was a student at Covenant College, a cloud actually started coming toward the school and came right in, inside my room. I went to Covenant College, which is on top of Lookout Mountain, Lookout Mountain, um, overlooks Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you've ever been to Chattanooga, seen the, the castle-looking thing up on top of Lookout Mountain, that's where I went to school. And one day, a, um, a puffy, uh, white, non-threatening cloud, but fairly dense cloud, uh, came and filled our room. And for those brief moments, it was kind of difficult to see across the room. But the cloud that overshadowed Peter and James and John was a different sort of cloud. It was the glory cloud of God's presence. And a voice came out of that cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The glory cloud of, of God's presence that had left the temple in Jerusalem 600 years earlier has finally returned. It is returned with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the Son of God. He is the Shekinah glory. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When we are without Jesus Christ, we are as bereft of glory as those idol-worshipping Jews back in the book of Ezekiel. We might not worship uh, carved images or Mesopotamian gods, but we are glory-seeking creatures. We seek purpose. We seek satisfaction. We seek happiness, all to give a higher meaning to our lives. This is this is our pursuit of glory. Every one of us senses a cra- uh, or craves a sense of glory in our lives. And when we seek that glory outside of Jesus Christ, 
we are idolaters. But Jesus must be our sole source of glory. And this is illustrated in verse 36. Verse 36, And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. When God finished speaking from the cloud, Jesus was alone. Moses and Elijah were not there. Jesus was found alone, standing all by himself. Peter and John and James must not be tempted to reverence Moses or Elijah. Jesus alone must be the object of their worship and their only source of glory. What about you? Where do you look for glory? Where do you seek satisfaction? I hope and I pray is in Jesus Christ. All other sources of glory are only counterfeits, cheap imitations. Look to Jesus. He is your glory as we pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the eternal Son of God, the chosen one, full of glory. Help us to listen to you. Help us to entrust ourselves to you in order that we would believe uh, your word, in order that we would believe that you are everything we need here in this life. Lord, we need righteousness. You are the righteous one. Lord, we need life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we need resurrection from the dead. You are the resurrection and the life. Lord, we, we help us to trust in you. Help us to submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and draw from him the only glory that our soul needs, the only glory that can truly satisfy our souls. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's praise our Savior as we sing together.